Thanks for listening to the Rock Hill Podcast. At Rock Hill, we're all about reaching people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. Listen in as Pastor Matt Chappell teaches how God's Word applies to our everyday lives. There's a lot of darkness in our world today. There's a lot of division. There's a lot of doubt. There's a lot of uncertainty. But I'm thankful today that we worship Jesus because Jesus is the light of the world. Come on, do you believe it this morning? We worship the light of the world today. And I'm so glad that you're here. And I'm looking forward to getting into God's word today and uh, embarking on a journey with you, a brand new sermon series that we're calling Mission Critical. And uh, we're looking forward to diving into God's word. And uh, we're going to be talking over the next several weeks about what is mission critical to our faith? What is mission critical to our church? Something that is mission critical means that it's vitally important that we can't live without it. And so what can we not survive without as a church? What can we not live without? And so we're going to be answering that question over the next several weeks. And so thank you so much for being here. You can go ahead and find a seat this morning. And if you have a Bible today, we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter number 2. 2 Timothy chapter number 2. And if you don't have a Bible, we should have most of the verses on the screens this morning. Did anybody have a good time at Rock Hill Conference last week? Come on. Anybody looking forward to what God has for you in 2019, believing that this is going to be the best year yet, and uh, that God is going to do something great in our midst and uh, in our church. And uh, thank you so much for being here today. 2 Timothy chapter number 2 is where we're going to be. And let's start reading in verse number 14. The Bible says this. And of these things, everybody say these things. We'll come back to that. That's important to know what things Paul is talking about here. Of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Everybody shout truth. Truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth, they've erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, over, overthrow, overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, that the Lord knoweth them that are his." And let everyone that nameth the name of an, uh, everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Let's have a word of prayer together this morning. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us, and God, thank you for the worship time that we've already had, Lord, directing our hearts and our our adoration to you. And God, I pray that you would be with us for the next few minutes as we look to your word. God, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit, Lord. Give me the words to say. That would be uh, exactly what we need this morning. And uh, God, you uh, know every need that is represented in this room. You know every name. You know every thought. And God, I pray that your word 
would penetrate our hearts. God, I pray that we would have a heart of, uh, of surrender and response to your word today. And uh, we love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. How many of you that are parents have ever caught your children telling a lie? Can I see your hands? You caught your children telling a lie. And uh, this past week, we were sitting uh, on the couch at our house, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, uh, we had just finished eating dinner, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, our car alarm started going off in the garage, and the, and the horn started just kind of honking and honking. And, and uh, my first thought, I kind of jumped up a little bit, and I thought, Somebody is trying to steal my car right now. And so I kind of went over to the garage door and I kind of uh, peeked outside and I'm trying to see, you know, is like anybody out there, you know, and I'm just kind of like looking and then I realized that nobody's out there. And so we're trying to figure out why is our car alarm going off? And as, as we were kind of back inside, I'm like, what, what, what's going on here? My son, Luke, who is three years old, out of nowhere said, it wasn't me. It was Blakely. And so I was thinking, you know, Blakely was kind of by us, and I was like, okay, there was no way that it was Blakely. And so I went over there, and sure enough, I saw uh, the key fob sitting next to Luke with that panic button ready, you know. And I said, Luke, did you press this? And he said, no. And I said, Luke, you need to tell the truth. Uh, did you press this? And he said, yes, but Blakely wanted me to do it. <laughs> and so I'm trying right now with my children, I'm trying to teach them that truth matters. Everybody say, truth matters. And that might be a simple concept for us to hear and understand, but it's such a hard and difficult concept for our society to uh, grasp this morning, that, that truth matters, that, that, that truth matters. And we're living in a society that is becoming more and more concerned with feeling rather than fact. In fact, 2016, Oxford Dictionaries decided that the word for uh, the year, the word for the year in 2016 is post-truth. And it means this, relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are, are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. And so essentially, it doesn't really uh, matter what the truth is, what the facts are, as long as you feel you're right, then that's all that really matters. And so in a post-truth society, it's not that truth no longer exists, it's that truth really no longer matters. And so we are living in a culture and a generation where the truth is being uh, dumbed down and it's really just about how you feel. And I, I want to tell you this morning as we're starting this series, Mission Critical, and what is, what is critical to our church, what is critical to our mission, what is critical to our calling as followers of Jesus, and what is critical to our mission is the truth. We have to build our foundation on the truth. We have to put a high price tag on the truth. It's not really about what I think or human speculation. It's really about biblical and divine revelation. It's about the truth. And this is something that the devil knows, and the devil has constantly been trying to attack uh, the truth since all the way back in Genesis chapter number 3. The first temptation in Genesis chapter 3, it says in Genesis 3 verse number 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord hath made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Hey, hey, did God really say that? Did God really mean that? And so the first temptation of the enemy was to question the truth, to diminish the truth. Did, did God really mean that? Did God really say that? Thomas Aquinas, he said this, Man's ultimate happiness consists in the contemplation of truth. For this operation is specific to man and is shared with no other animals. And so what he was saying is, hey, life really, your, your happiness is, is, is going to be linked to truth and your belief about uh, the truth. Jesus and Pilate had this famous uh, exchange and interaction about uh, this subject in John chapter 18. 
In verses 37 and 38, Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, uh, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end I was born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everybody say the truth. And everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. And Pilate said unto him, What is truth? And so Pilate was a man that recognized the truth, but he failed to receive the truth. And that is a tragic place to be in life where you can recognize the truth but fail to receive the truth. And so ever since the beginning, the devil has been trying to attack uh, truth and trying to tear down the walls of truth. And we come to 2 Timothy chapter number 2, and uh, uh, this is a foundational passage in Scripture on the truth. And uh, Paul is writing to a younger pastor named Timothy that was pastoring at the church at Ephesus. And uh, Ephesus was the uh, province city of Asia. It had over 200,000 people. It was a very influential city. Paul actually started the church at Ephesus. You can read about it. Back in Acts chapter number 19, talk about an adventurous church plan. If you want to read a, a crazy story, read Acts chapter number 19. There's bonfires, there's demons, there's pandemonium, there's uh, riots, uh, there, there's yelling, there's pandemonium. Uh, but God brought a revival in the midst of all that and founded this church at Ephesus. And now a young man, Timothy, ha has taken the reins and he is, he is leading this church at Ephesus. But there was an all-out war taking place on the truth. There was false doctrine that was kind of infiltrating uh, the church and people were bringing up all these uh, philosophies and, and uh, Gnosticism and these human speculation and all these ideas. And so Paul was writing to Timothy in, in chapter number two and he's basically saying, hey, be strong, be a good soldier and stand for the truth and defend the truth. And so uh, we know that the enemy is going to attack the truth and he does so uh, different ways. The enemy uh, tries uh, many times to uh, distort the truth where uh, he's going to try to uh, bring verses out of context and try to say, hey, this actually means this, and let's kind of distort the truth a little bit to, to mean something different. Sometimes the enemy will try to uh, dilute the truth, and that is where, yeah, you can believe Jesus, but also let's believe this, this, and this, and, and try to water down and dilute the truth. And sometimes the devil just wants to flat out delete the truth and say, no, none of this even matters at all, and so just kind of believe whatever you want to believe. And we have to remain strong and understand that, that, that the enemy is waging war against truth, and we have to understand this morning as followers of Jesus that truth matters. It matters. It's mission critical to our faith. John 16 verse 13 says this, Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, uh, the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever ye, he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. And so we know that if we're saved, we are indwelt uh, with the Holy Spirit, and one of the uh, purposes of the Holy Spirit is to guide us into truth, to reveal to us the truth. 1 Corinthians 13, 6 says that we rejoice not in iniquity, but we rejoice in the truth. And I'm trying to build a foundation this morning to let you know that truth matters. It, it matters. Galatians 1.6, uh, Paul was writing to the churches at Galatia, and he said, I marvel. I'm amazed. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Paul, Paul wrote to the churches at Galatia, and he's, he's saying, I'm just, I'm amazed. I'm shocked. I'm surprised that you were once so grounded in the truth, and now you are drifting from the truth. And it's my prayer that Rock Hill uh, Baptist Church would be a church that is grounded in the truth, that we would not drift from the truth, but that we would dig down deep and be rooted and built up in Christ Jesus and know what we believe and, and have a solid biblical foundation. And so the question this morning is, how then do we stay anchored to the truth? And so if truth matters and if truth is mission critical, 
How do we then stay anchored to the truth? And I believe that from Paul's exhortation to a young man named Timothy, I believe that we can learn exactly that. And so I believe that there's four ways this morning that we can stay anchored to the truth. Are you ready this morning? Four ways that we can stay anchored to the truth. Notice number one this morning. We have to remain focused on what really matters. We have to stay focused on what really matters. If we're going to stay grounded to the truth, we have to stay focused on what really matters. And we can do that a few different ways that Paul tells us. We can do that, first of all, by not being distracted. Would you notice verse number 14? It says this, of these things, put them in remembrance. And so he's saying you need to remind the church of these things. Now, what things is he talking about? If you read verses uh, 1 through 13 in 2 Timothy chapter number 2, you learn things that Paul is telling Timothy about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, about the deity of Jesus Christ, about the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, about how we have this calling to be a good soldier, to please him who has chosen us. And so he's saying remind them of these things. These things are of doctrinal significance. These things are of utmost most important. These things are mission critical. So remind them of these things. These things are important. These things are so necessary. And so he's saying, hey, remind them. It's good to be reminded. Uh, Paul said in Philippians 3.1, to write the same things unto you. To me is not uh, grievous, but for you it is safe. Why? Because there is safety in repetition. There is safety in being reminded of doctrinal uh, truths and uh, important uh, matters of the faith. And so he's saying, those things, let, let's be reminded about those things. Let's concentrate on uh, doctrinal matters. Are you following with me so far? Let, let's be reminded of these things. Uh, and then he says, charge them before the Lord that they strive not about words, no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. And so he's saying, hey, uh, you need to be reminded of those things, and you need to stay focused on those things and not get distracted with the non-essential things. There's got to be a healthy focus on the essentials on what we believe, the closed-hand things of our faith, the, the, uh, the big matters of doctrine. But we've got to focus on the essentials and not get distracted by the non-essentials because many times what happens in the church is we become consumed with the non-essentials to the neglect of the essentials. Many times we major on the minor, and uh, we, we get so consumed maybe about a style or about uh, a song selection or about something that is trivial, something that is petty, something that is minor, and we will major on the minor. And Paul is saying to Timothy, hey, let's remember these things, let's focus on these things, and let's not get distracted by the trivial things, uh, the things that are just going to lead us astray. And so he's saying, hey, we've got to remain focused on what really matters. What really matters are the essential truths of God's word, the doctrines of God's word, not just human speculation, not just uh, philosophies or man's ideas, but what God has to say in his word. And then he says this, charging them before the Lord that they strive not uh, about words, no profit. And so we can't be distractive, but then he says we can't be combative. We can't strive. The word strive there uh, literally means to wrangle. It means to wrestle. And so he's saying, hey, don't, don't be combative about words that, that have no profit, things that are vain, things that really don't matter. Don't, don't, don't argue about this. And so uh, he's challenging us to not be combative. And I don't know if you've noticed, but we live in a culture and a generation and a time where we like to argue about things. And uh, we're pretty good at arguing, right? Even about the silliest of things in the world, we will argue about because everybody has an opinion. How many of you uh, remember a couple of years ago when uh, this dress hit social media? How many of you say that is white and gold? How many of you say that is blue and black? Okay, so there's division in the church this morning, right? People argue about this. And there's long threads all over social media. What color is this dress? And people argue and they're combative. And, and the point is this. We argue about the silliest of things. And Paul is writing to Timothy and he's saying, hey, strive not 
about words to no profit. Hey, 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 don't get distracted and don't get combative about things that don't really matter. Let's, let's remain focused on what really matters. The Bible says this in 2 Timothy 2, verses 23 through 24, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid. Everybody say avoid. Knowing that they do gender strifes, and the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach and patient. And so we've got to be grounded in what we believe, but gracious in how we behave. I'll say it again. We've got to be grounded in what we believe, but gracious in how we behave. And so Paul is saying, let's not strive uh, about words of no profit. Let's not get distracted with things that really don't matter, the non-essentials. Titus 3.9 says, but avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. He said, hey, this really doesn't matter. It's going to distract us from our mission. Our time as followers of Jesus and our time as humans is far too valuable to get caught up in irrelevancies. And so he's saying, hey, let's focus on what really matters. And so we can't be distracted. We can't be combative. And then really we don't want to be destructive because notice what he says at the end of this verse, uh, strive uh, not about words, no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. The the word uh, subverting is where we get our English word catastrophic. In the Greek, it's catastrophe. And so what he's saying is, hey, when we argue about trivial things and about petty things, when we do that, it's destructive. It's catastrophic. Because I want to remind you that the world is watching the church. And when we argue and when we uh, fight and we are combative about secondary, non-essential issues, we're not promoting the unity that God wants us to promote. And the world is thinking, why would I want to be a part of that? And so he's saying subverting, subverting of the hearers, it means catastrophic. And this is really the exact opposite of what we're called to do as the church. We're called to edify. The word edify means to build up. We're called to build each other up, not tear each other down. And so this is what Paul's saying to Timothy when there's this all-out war on the truth. He's saying, first of all, remain focused on what really matters. Let's, let's remain focused on the essentials, the doctrines uh, of our faith and the word of God. And let's not be combative and let's not be divisive over secondary, non-essential uh, issues. Uh, C.S. Lewis, he wrote uh, uh, many different things. He's a great uh, theologian and uh, a uh, brilliant mind, and he wrote the Screw Tape Letters, which is really an interesting take on theology in a very creative way that he wanted to talk about uh, theology. And he wrote these uh, Screw Tape Letters, and it was basically where uh, he wrote as a demon, writing to a younger demon on how to trip up and distract believers. And it says this in the Screw Tape Letters: "Your man that is Christian, you're trying to influence." Has been, accustomed ever, has been accustomed ever since he was a boy to have a dozen incompatible philosophies dancing about together inside his head. He doesn't think, that, uh, he doesn't think of doctrines are pri- as primar- primarily true or false, but as academic or practical, practical jargon, not argument, is your best ally in keeping him from the church. And the idea is that the devil wants us to just have this jargon and this distraction about all these secondary things so we begin to doubt what is actually true and what we really believe. And so Paul is, is pleading with Timothy, this young pastor, saying, hey, let's remain focused on what really matters. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says this, Now I beseech you, brethren, by, uh, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing. Everybody say the same thing. And that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same 
judgment. And so I just want to encourage our church family this morning. Hey, let's remain focused on what really matters, okay? Let's remain focused on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Let's remain focused on the deity of Christ. Let's remain focused on the infallibility of God's word. Let's remain focused on reaching people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. And let's band together in harmony and unity so we can go out and storm the gates of hell and reach people with this life-changing message. So we've got to remain focused on what really matters. Number two this morning, if we're going to be anchored to the truth, we've got to recognize that we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility when it comes to the truth. If you're still with me this morning, would you say amen? Amen. Notice verse 15. Our first responsibility, the Bible says, is to study. Now, the word study... Uh, really in the Greek carries the idea of giving maximum effort. It means to be diligent. Okay, and so we have this responsibility as followers of Jesus to be diligent when it comes to the study of God's word, to be uh, giving maximum effort, to, to study, to show thyself approved unto God. The Bible says this in 1 Timothy 5.17, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially... They who labor in the word and doctrine. And so it's my responsibility as the pastor of this church to labor in the word of God. And that is a calling that I take very seriously, that I'm going to labor in the word of God. But that is, in reality, the call of all Christians because the Bible says in Acts 17, verse number 11, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and having searched the scriptures daily. Everybody say daily. Daily. Whether those things were so And so it's our job, it's our responsibility to study, to, to be diligent, to give maximum effort uh, when it comes to the knowledge of God's Word. And that might mean you got to wake up a little bit earlier to read God's Word. You get a, a Bible reading plan, you get a, a, a study Bible, but we're showing maximum effort when it comes to the things of God. There is a college professor, uh, and he's a writer at the University of North Carolina, and he is a famous uh, atheist. And uh, he didn't always grow up that way. In fact, he grew up in the church. He went to, um, he went to a Christian college. And uh, there he st- started to really dive into the scriptures. And he started to become a critic of the scriptures. And he was looking for inconsistencies. And he's trying to uh, pick apart the faith. And so much so that he kind of gave his life to it. And his name is Bart Ehrman. And uh, he's written on this many different times. And he's been involved with debates uh, with uh, uh, many different Christians and things. But he wrote this in this statement. He's talking about his, his class at the University of North Carolina. And uh, he says this, this is an insert from a quote that he had in a book. It says this, on the first day of class uh, with over 300 students, I ask, how many of you would agree with the proposition that the Bible is the inspired word of God? Whoosh. Virtually every uh, one in the auditorium raises their hand. Then I ask, how many of you uh, have uh, one or more of the Harry Potter books? Whoosh. The whole auditorium. Then I ask, and how many of you have read the entire Bible? Scattered hands. A few students here and there. I always laugh and I say, okay, look, I'm not saying that I think God wrote the Bible. You're telling me that, that, that you think God wrote the Bible. I can see why you might want to read a book by J.K. Rowling, but if God wrote a book, why wouldn't you want to see what he has to say? And that question from an atheist professor at the University of North Carolina should penetrate our hearts. If we, if we believe that God wrote a book, and we do, and if we believe that every word is inspired, and we do, And if we believe that the word of God is perfect, and we do, then why would we not study and be diligent in study of the word of God? 
This is not just an ancient history book. This is not just a textbook with some interesting philosophies or ideas. This is the very word of God. It is perfect. It is God's love letter to you. He wants to communicate his message to you. This is not just a history book. This is God's revealed word to us. We've got to study. We've got, we've got to show ourselves approved. And so we have this responsibility to be diligent, but also to be approved. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Now, the word approved in the Greek is dokimos, and it means to, it's always associated with coins. And, and uh, coins in the Roman culture uh, would often be tested by fire to make sure that it wasn't a counterfeit, to make sure that it was a real, authentic coin. And so uh, what he's saying is we ought to study and be diligent in the word of God so that we are approved, so that we are authentic, and we know uh, what we believe, that we are approved before, uh, before God. Uh, Jim Elliott, who was a famous uh, missionary to Ecuador. He was actually uh, martyred for his faith there in Ecuador. And uh, he went to Wheaton College, and he wrote this insert into his uh, diary while he was at Wheaton College. He said this, my, my grades came through this week and were, as expected, lower than last semester. However, I make no apologies and admit that I've let them drag for uh, a bit for the study of the Bible in which I seek the, uh, the AUG degree approved unto God. And I read that and I thought, man, I wish I would have heard that quote in high school. I would have used it all the time. Like, sorry, mom, my grades are slipping, but I'm trying to get that AUG degree approved unto God. You know, I don't think that would have worked. But here is his thought. I'm going to be diligent. I'm going to be approved unto God. It's really not about what everybody else has to think. I'm not trying to be approved by man. I'm just trying to be approved by God. I want to please him who has chosen me to be a soldier. I want to please him. I want to be approved in God's eyes. It's not really about what man has to say. It's about what God thinks about me. And so that was, that was his heart. And so we've got, we have this responsibility to be diligent, to be approved. But then we have this responsibility to be accurate because notice what it says. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, so we want to be approved, not ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing the word of truth. And now, now, this phrase carries the idea of cutting a straight edge, cutting in a straight line. And uh, many different uh, uh, commentators and theologians, they will explain this differently. John Calvin, he, he, he uh, carried the idea and he presented the illustration as a father who would take a loaf of bread and he would cut individual pieces for his family to make sure that the portions were divided evenly. And he was saying that's how we ought to treat the word of God to, uh, to be able to dissect and, and uh, to divide uh, the word of truth. But the primary uh, connotation and the major idea is that of a carpenter, a craftsman who is uh, cutting in a straight line, who who, who wants to be precise and, 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 and exercise precision when it comes to the project that he's working on. I remember when Katie and I were in our first home, I decided that I was going to um, install baseboards in our house. And I'd never done that before. And I thought, how hard would it be to install baseboards? And, and, uh, and uh, so I ripped the old baseboards off and I got the new ones and I started making cuts. And when I was going in a straight line, it was actually pretty easy. I was kind of proud of myself, like I'm doing pretty good. And then it came time to do those angles and those corners, and I kept on getting them reversed in my mind. I'm like, what's wrong with me? And they would not line up, and Katie's on the side like, do you need my help? I'm like, no, I need you to just go away for a second so I can <laughs> focus on this. And uh, it, it was difficult. I couldn't, I couldn't quite get the right measurements. And the idea here that Paul is saying is that we've got to cut in a straight line. We've got to be precise. And, and Dan, if you can hand me this, uh, this cutter this morning. I brought this uh, paper cutter from my house. And uh, one thing that you might not know about me is I like to cut paper. <laughs> it's true. Sometimes when I'm stressed, I'm like, I'm going to cut some things. I'm gonna... That is a spiritual gift that Daniel does not have. 
because sometimes when I ask Daniel to cut things, they are not in a straight line, <laughs> but he's getting better. But I like this, this paper cut. In fact, Daniel, come up here and help me. Let's see, let's, you're going to have your chance to be redeemed in front of the church this morning. But I like this paper cutter because if we're going to cut something for the church, um, if we're going to cut like a handout or something, you know, uh, we're not just going to take scissors and try to do our best to make it look straight because it's just it's not going to work that way. And uh, we'll use this. And this is nice because it has uh, rulers and guides and it has this, this straight edge. And if you put it up here, and that's why it's amazing if someone can't quite cut it straight because I'm just wondering how that's even possible with all of these guidelines and templates here. But... Um, but Daniel, show, show, us, show us a good sturdy cut with the, with the measurements in, in line. Wow. That is straight. Let's give it up for Daniel. I take back everything that I said, Daniel. But here's the idea. When it comes to the word of God, we ought to approach the study and the care of God's word with that kind of accuracy, with that kind of precision, that it's not just, what do I think about this? No, it's, I want to take my time. I want to measure. I want to use the right tools. I want to get in there and rightly divide the word of truth. I'm not just going to treat the Bible with casualness and just kind of, this is what I think it means for me. No, what is God trying to communicate? What is the accurate, precise message uh, for me today? And so we've got to use the right tools. We've got to understand uh, the historical context, the grammatical uh, context. We've got to understand... Uh, uh, what God is trying to communicate and what it takes is, is to study. It's to be a workman, okay? And, and that's the idea. We can't be a church that's just going to say, okay, you know what, just, just, just somebody else feed me. No, we've got to be students of the word and we've got to get into it and dive deep ourselves and, and ask God to reveal his word to us. And so uh, we've got this calling to be diligent, to be approved, and, and, and to be accurate. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 2.17, For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God. You know, people misuse the Bible all the time. People will take verses out of context and just say, you know what, this is what I think. Remember that one verse? And a lot of times, like, that's not what it means. People will, will just take things out of context and corrupt the word of God. Second Corinthians 4, 2, but having, having renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. See, a lot of times error comes by way of a half-truth. Someone will take a verse and they will build a whole philosophy, they will build a whole concept around a verse out of context, and they will, they will handle the word of God deceitfully. And we've got to be students of the word and workmen so that we can decipher and rightly divide the word of truth. Are you tracking with me this morning? Notice verse number 16. So, so, so Paul says this to Timothy. And again, he's saying, hey, there's war on truth. By the way, do you believe there's a war on truth today? So what we're talking about matters, right? This isn't just like, hey, let's, let's, let's just fill our heads with knowledge. No, this matters, okay? And so Paul is telling Timothy, you've got to study to show thyself, to prove unto God, a workman. And so he's saying this, and then he goes on and he gives an example. Verse 16, he says, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And so he kind of repeats what he said earlier and says, hey, let's not get distracted by trivial things, by the non-essentials, by secondary things, by the minor things. Let's focus on the major. And then he says, and their word will eat as doth a canker. Now, he's talking about the, the, the error, the false doctrine that was infiltrating the church. And he says it's like a canker. That, that is gangrene. 
And so he uses this, this kind of repulsive idea of this flesh-eating disease, and he's saying that's what happens when false doctrine, when false ideas come into the church. Church, It just kind of eats away at the health of the church, and it, and it spreads all over the place. And he says, uh, of whom is uh, Hymenaeus and Philetus? And now, uh, Hymenaeus is mentioned one time in 1 Timothy, and he was actually uh, kicked out of the church for wrong ideas. We don't know much about Philetus, but here's the message that they were spreading in verse number 18. Who concerning the truth, the truth matters, who concerning the truth have erred. Okay, and so they took the truth and they, they had this error. What was it? Saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. And so uh, we, we read this error that they were preaching that the resurrection had passed already. And if you read it at first glance, it's almost like, what's the big deal? Because the resurrection is past. Like if you believe the resurrection, that Jesus died and rose again from the dead, that, that was in the past. Okay, so, so they were preaching partial truth. Like that wasn't totally wrong that the resurrection passed. Are you following me? That, that wasn't totally wrong. But, but here's what they were saying. They were saying that the resurrection concept was, was for a Christian, spiritual, spiritually only, but not physical. And so they were saying this is a spiritual concept, not a physical reality. And this is what they meant, that when you are saved, when you accepted Christ, that you, you were raised to new life in Christ spiritually. You have a new position in Christ. We talked about that a few weeks ago. That is true. But here's what they denied. They denied the physical idea of a resurrection. You say, well, what's the big deal? Well, this is our hope as Christians because Jesus died and rose again. That was the resurrection precedent so that we could uh, be raised to new life in Christ, that the dead in Christ shall rise and meet him in the air, that we can have the hope of eternal life and have a physical resurrection as well. This is the great news of the gospel. And so... And so they, they, they were teaching that the resurrection is past already. And this is why we need to be students of the word, because it's almost like, well, what's the big deal? Well, this is a huge deal. In fact, Paul, he, he hammered this in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? He's saying, how can you say that there is no future resurrection of the dead? They, they, they laughed at the idea that we would one day rise again and meet Jesus in the air. They, they laughed at that concept. And Paul was saying, how can you say that? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is also in vain. He's saying everything hinges on this reality. This is a major doctrine that we've got to understand and focus on, that, that, that it all hinges upon the reality of a resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, later on, he says in verse 54, he says, So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Is anybody thankful today that we have the victory in Christ Jesus because Jesus died and rose again from the dead, and we have this hope? Hope. That is an anchor for our soul. We have this hope and this reality of a future resurrection. And this is great news and this is encouraging news that we have this hope. And, and uh, this is exactly what the false doctrine that was infiltrating the church in Timothy's day was saying. And, and uh, I just want to encourage you and warn you this morning that there is false doctrine that is infiltrating the churches today. Uh, there is false doctrine that is saying that we can't trust the Bible, that we can't trust every word of God. There is false doctrine that is saying that Jesus was merely a good teacher. Uh, there's all kinds of uh, false doctrine that is infiltrating the truth, and many times it comes in disguise as a partial truth. They, they've got a verse to back it up. Hymenaeus and Philetus, they could have said the resurrection has passed already. They could have had some proof to back it up, but it was a partial truth that led to major doctrinal error. 
that need to be con confronted. And so uh, we have to recognize that we have this responsibility. Do you believe it this morning? We have this responsibility to be students of the Word of God. We, we have to remain focused on what really matters. We have to recognize that we have a responsibility. Here's number three this morning. We've got to rely on our solid foundation. Now, Paul's going to go on. He's going to talk about this foundation that we have. And uh, there, there's two encouraging thoughts, and we'll, we'll, we'll look at them quickly. Notice verse number 19. Nevertheless, everybody say nevertheless. nevertheless. That's an encouraging word because he's like, man, there's a lot of false doctrine spreading around. And Timothy, you got to be careful. Nevertheless, okay, so we can exhale for a second. Okay, good, there's some good news. The foundation of God standeth sure. He's saying, hey, there is stability in the church. There is stability with Jesus. The foundation of God stands sure. And what he's talking about here is the church. He's talking about how there is stability and there is a strong foundation that is the church. Proverbs 10.25 says, as the whirlwind passeth, so is the wicked no more, but the righteous is an everlasting foundation. 1 Timothy 3.15, he says, but if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. And so this is good news today because we live in a world where there is so much instability and the people are up and down relationally and up and down financially and up and down with work and up and down with emotions. But I want to tell you that Jesus is our anchor, that he is our stability. And if we stay connected to the church and we stay connected to the body of believers, there is great stability that is found there because the foundation of God stands sure. This is great news today. And if you feel like, man, I feel like I'm wavering, I feel like, I feel like I'm a little bit all over the place, I would encourage you to get connected to a small group, get connected to church, dive into the word of God, because there is stability found in Jesus, where you will have that anchor that when, when persecution comes and when difficulty comes, that you can stand strong. The Bible says this in Matthew 16, 18, and I also say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And this is, this is great news. And so, nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure. And so we've got to rely on this foundation, this, this stability. But I want you to see also, not only the stability, but I want you to see the seal that he mentions, having this seal. Now, in Roman culture, culture and in ancient culture, a seal signified ownership. Okay? And so many times, I think we have, maybe have a picture of a seal, an example of what that, that would have looked like. And so many times when, uh, when, when the Romans would build a building or a structure, they would put on the cornerstone, which I, I think we talked about a couple weeks ago, uh, on the cornerstone, they would put um, a seal, and that signified ownership. And no one would dare break a Roman seal. That, that, that was something that you just didn't do. And so, uh, and so as, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we have this encouraging news that if you are saved, then you are also sealed. And God is saying that, that, that he's taking ownership in us. And we have the seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. He, he, he knows uh, who are his children. He, he, we are sealed. The Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. In whom also uh, ye trusted after that ye had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also after uh, ye believed that ye were sealed. Everybody say sealed. You were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. And so this is great news this morning. If you are saved, you are sealed. And the Lord knows them that are his. Hey, can I tell you today that he knows your name. He knows what you're going through. He knows your struggle. He knows your victories. He knows your thoughts. He knows everything about you. He loves you and he calls you his own. 
the Lord knows them that are his. We, we have the seal. The Bible says in John 10, verse number 3, uh, to him the porter openeth, uh, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name. Everybody say, by name. And leadeth them out. John 10 14, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. See, God knows us. He knows every situation. He knows every scar. He knows every shame. He knows every struggle. And he loves us unconditionally and he calls us his own. And so, and so here's why this is so essential in a world that is post-truth, in a world that's just kind of drifting and we, we don't know what to believe. We have a strong foundation and, and God knows uh, his church and we can rely on that foundation when everything else seems to be shaking and drifting. We know that the word of God stands strong. Do you believe it this morning? And here's the last way that we can stay anchored to the truth. You got one more in you this morning? Number four, we must then respond with a heart of surrender. We must respond then with a heart of surrender. Notice what it says towards the end of verse number 19. It says that the Lord knoweth them that are his, and that everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And so what he's saying is this, hey, we've been talking about the truth. Let's focus on what really matters. Let's, let's recognize that we have a responsibility to the truth, to be students of the word of God. And, and let's rely on our strong foundation of truth. And he's hammering the truth. And then he says, where there is truth, there must be transformation. Depart from iniquity. Let, let the truth change you. Iniquity means sin. He's saying, hey, let the truth penetrate your heart heart and change you. I remember when I first started preaching, I think I preached my first sermon 16 years ago, and I wrote out this sermon that I was really nervous about. I was, uh, I was uh, insecure about it, and I remember I showed it to a pastor, and I wanted to get his feedback, and he handed it back to me, and he said this, so what? Kind of hurt my feelings a little bit. I'm like, what do you mean, so what? It's not funny, Rikia. <laughs> and he said, so what? And I was like, uh, <laughs> like I, don't, I don't know what you want me to say. And then he went on to explain, and he was saying this. He said, Matt, every message needs a so what. He said, anytime you preach and declare truth, there's got to be an application at the end. There's got to be a so what. So what does all this mean for me? If we're talking about the truth and we're talking about uh, the ramifications of truth, then so what? Well, how does that change my life? How does that apply to me? So what? And this is Paul's so what. He's saying, hey, the truth should lead to transformation. We, we should let the word of God penetrate our hearts and not just be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. See, truth has not been learned until truth has been lived. Tr truth has not truly been learned until we apply it, until we live out the truth. Winston Churchill said this, men occasionally stumble over truth, uh, over the truth, but most of them pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing had happened. We hear the truth but we don't let the truth penetrate our hearts. We don't do anything about it. And so here's my question this morning for you. So what? what? What is God speaking to your heart today? If the truth matters, maybe God is speaking to you to dive into the word of God and start reading his word daily or uh, to rely on that solid foundation. Maybe it's to not pick petty arguments, but to remain focused on what really matters. What is the so what for us this morning? Truth always should lead to transformation. And when we don't respond to truth, when we ignore revelation, please hear me. Ignored revelation always leads to captivity. This is God's word. It's his revelation. 
to us. Ignored revelation always leads to captivity. When we ignore this message or when we choose to kind of put it to the side or we don't value it like we should, that will always lead to captivity. Here, I'll show you an example and we're done. Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up, uh, come up before me. That was the revelation. Are you tracking with me? That was God's word to Jonah. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And I don't think I need to rehearse the story of Jonah. He ended up inside a great fish's belly, right? Captivity. Ignored revelation always leads to captivity. When we say this isn't that important or, or yeah, I get it, but maybe I'll think about this later. We are walking on dangerous territory, on dangerous ground. We have to let the word of God come to us, transform us, and then go through us. John chapter 8, verse number 32. And you shall know the truth. Everybody say the truth. And the truth shall make you free. And here's the truth of the gospel this morning. If you are here and you're not sure about your eternal destiny, here's the truth of the gospel. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is the truth this morning. And if you're unsure about your eternal destiny, hey, you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have a home in heaven today. This is the truth of God's word. This is the truth of the gospel. This is what it's all about today. And you can respond with a heart of surrender and saying, you know what? I'm gonna let the word of God penetrate my heart and my life and I'm gonna do something about it. Would you close your eyes this morning? Bow your head and close your eyes today. Adrian Rogers said this, it is impossible to find anyone in the Bible who was uh, who, who had power for God, who did not have his enemies, uh, did not have enemies and was not hated. Listen to this. He said, it's better to stand alone with the truth than to be wrong with the multitude. It is better ultimately to succeed with the truth than to temporarily succeed with a lie. This morning, it's my heart through this series, Mission Critical, for our church to really understand what really matters in life. What matters for the health of our church? What matters for the health of our soul? Well, I believe truth is the foundation because if we don't have truth, what do we have? Thanks again for listening today. If this message was an encouragement to you, let us know. You can email us at hello at rockhill.church and keep up with all the latest news at rockhill.church or on Instagram at Rock Hill Church.